In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson coming to you from los angeles and welcome to episode 369 this week on the show we're sharing with you the audio from the panel from the new york city immersive meetup hosted last month at andrew hoffner's gymnopedia that was moderated by no pros new york curator ali murata that's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, this panel features Alex Schmay, co-owner of Future Proof, Evan Knighton of Candlehouse Collective, Andrew Hoffner of Houseworld Immersive, Jessica Crean of I Can't Go On, and Risa Puno, the installation artist behind Privilege of Escape. Uh, this is a frank conversation about the impact of the pandemic on their work, where the field of immersive is going, and it includes questions from the audience. Uh, I'm going to note here uh, two things. One, we're we're doing this episode because uh, it was originally going to be a sort of timed backer exclusive, a regular thing in the feed, but I caught COVID and was uh, laid up for several days and we basically lost the week. So more on that uh, in the back matter of the show. Uh, the other thing I want to note, this is done from a live recording. There were two microphones. Uh, there, there are some clear audio issues. So if you're listening in headphones right now, stop what you're doing, put it through a different kind of speaker, uh, listen, in, listen to it through your, your laptop, listen to it through the, the phone uh, directly. I do not recommend listening to this through headphones because there's going to be some moments where there's a little bit of feedback, where there's some garbled, you know, digital stuff, and it just jumps out at you. There's nowhere to, no way to prepare for it. Uh, and even though uh, everything's sort of turned down, so it's not at maximum, it'll still get you. Uh, it's okay to listen through a car. It's not like a jump scare. But uh, if it was in your headphones, if it was earbuds in particular, do not do that to yourself. Just, just go have it have it like it's an old time radio show. All right. Good, good material. Great. Listen in terms of what everyone's saying, but I want you to be aware. Don't hurt your ears and you won't do major damage, but you know, it'll be uncomfortable like four or five times at, at random times. So just be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself. All right. The event was part of Houseworld's week-long fundraiser for NoPro. Maybe I, can, maybe I can't talk. Maybe, maybe that's what's happened to me. And once again, I want to thank Andrew. This is how I always am. Don't worry about that. No permanent damage, I hope. Uh, and once again, I want to thank Andrew for putting that together and helping us build Runway into 2023. Speaking of support, and hold on, don't go away because you want to stick around after this next bit to hear about the active backer discounts that are available right now and that are about to be available. Uh, I wanted to welcome, though, our latest sustaining backer, Tom Leonetti Maguire of Little Lion Entertainment out in England. Thanks to Tom and our 382 Patreon backers, we remain on the right side of the halfway mark of our 5K a month funding goal. 
and still just eight shy of the 400 backer mark. Let's finish this ninth year. We're nine years of programming when, when this is all said and done. We'll have our ninth anniversary next month. Let's finish this ninth year of North Persinium by blasting past that 400 line. Help get the word out there. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Of course, if you already do back us, take a moment to drop us a review on iTunes or your podcaster of choice and help spread the word. It really does make a difference. And of course, you can share the work we do on your social media platform of choice. And there are so many to choose from these days. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our no pro backers. Hit me up at Noah at noprosinium.com for details. Speaking of, here we go. Right now, Patreon backers can find a discount in their feed for Majestic Rep and Table 8 Immersive's The Wild Party in Las Vegas, which was just added this Monday and is good for 20% off tickets for the show through December 18th. And next week, we've got an auction for telelibrary tickets for our Patreon backers, courtesy of Unique Trapman O'Brien. Look for details on that at the top of next week in the backer feed. And of course, London folks, don't forget that the Rematch Live Rumble in the Jungle discount is still available for you. Scroll back in the backer feed and collect your rewards. That feels weird to say, but I guess it's true. And one more thing. I buried this at the end. You know me. I love to bury the fun stuff. Hopefully it keeps you listening. Uh, one more thing. Keep an eye out for a hold the date announcement for the 2023 edition of the Next Stage Summit. We've got dates and a venue. And we'll be announcing the former ASAP. Just want just to wanna make sure everyone's, everyone involved is cool with us announcing the dates and then we're going to announce the venue maybe we'll even get to do both at the same time i don't know i haven't asked permission yet um i like to treat my partners well when it comes to this stuff so i'm very excited very excited and uh, it's gonna be a lot of work <laughs> you, if you're gonna hear that date you're gonna go like that's fast i mean it's not that fast it, but it's faster than we've done before uh but we're in a good spot we've got some great partners we've got some really good stuff planned already and oh, back in the game, back in the game. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Tom Leonetti McGuire, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Winthorne, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for keeping me alive. Quite literally, you pay for my health insurance, and without that, maybe I'd be somewhere worse right now. More on that on the other end, but uh, that's it for the announcements for now, and uh, here you go. And remember, like I told you, if you're, if you're in headphones, go find it, find an alternate way to listen. Totally worth listening to. I, I like to listen to podcasts in the car, but that's me. All right. I'll catch you on the other side. <laughs> And without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to our moderator, Ali Murata. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, big thank you to Andrew for having us all here tonight and for supporting No Proscenium. Um, yeah, give it up. 
I'm Ali Murata. I am the new New York City curator for new, uh, No Proscenium, recently promoted from staff correspondent. Um, and we are here today to talk about immersive theater in New York City, or immersive work, I guess. We're not going to limit ourselves to theater. Um, so I think the best way to start is to have all of our panelists give us a quick intro. I'm not going to assume that everybody here knows who we all are. Um, and then we'll get into some questions. Sound good? Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Alex Schmay. My name is a bunch of consonants, so good luck. Um, I am the co-owner and producer at Future Proof. Uh, we are located on 32 Meadow Street and Bogart. That's next to Paperbox and Monarch. Uh, we're an immersive hub. We do immersive content in a 10,000 square foot warehouse space. We've partnered with two other productions, Doors of Divergence, who there's somebody in the back, I can't see. Oh, yeah. oh, there it is. And also we've partnered with The Art of Killing It, which is also somewhere in the building. Uh, so they're two separate productions that we host, and then we also produce our own content. My name is Evan, uh, Evan Nyden. I'm the founder and artistic director of Candle House Collective. We have been creating in-person and remote theater, mostly remote theater, uh, in, uh, immersive interactive experiences for audiences of one since 2018. Uh, and we've created over 25 of them at this point, I think. Um, yeah, our, uh, our most recent pieces are Claws, which um, yeah, recently uh, is most recently going to the uh, Overlook Film Festival. So. My name is Andrew Hoffner. I'm the creator at Houseworld Immersive. Our most recent show is here. It's Bottom of the Ocean. And I'm also the artistic director of this venue, Jim Nopedi. Hello, my name is Jessica, and I run a studio called I Can't Koan. Uh, have fun with that. And I make games and immersive experiences. The basic idea is what if a thing that was hard and scary and not fun was instead really playful and fun and involved clown and laughter and games, and you might fall in love. Um, hi, my name is Risa Puno. I'm an interactive installation sculpture artist. Um, I make projects like The Privilege of Escape, which was um, an escape room-inspired public artwork designed to address social privilege and systemic inequity. Beautiful, thank you. Yeah, give it up for these amazing panelists. Okay, so for our first question, we're gonna be um, pretty vague, um, and we can start Is this my fault? I'll just stop moving. <laughs> Great. I'm going to stay just like this. Um, we could start with Risa and bring it down this way. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your art has been like lately and what you're working on. Oh, wow. Um, okay. What, uh, lately? Well, it's picking up again. Thank goodness. Um, I just uh, finished two projects. One is a uh, my first ever uh, public video installation on a hundred foot screen in Manhattan West. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, and I have embarrassing stories about being uh, on a film set for the first time as the director and calling action too soon before they could slate. Um, but that was fun. That's a project called Drawing Breath. And then I just completed a project called Open Invitation, which was this sort of like seating structure slash monument thing that was basically six brownstone stoops, just the stairs all smashed together, um, that it was a public stoop for anybody and anyone. 
Um, and yeah, and so right now, uh, tomorrow, I'm flying to Arkansas to open my next project called Come By. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple things that I'm working on right now. One of them is, uh, so I had a piece running at Caveat on the Lower East Side for a little while. Two, actually, I realized I didn't introduce anything that I do. Um, one was chaos theory, and the second was, was know thyself. And so know thyself is a piece about philosophy, and so it involved a bunch of philosophy games. And so I'm publishing seven of those this month, which for my producers out there, you all know how my month is going. And it's hard, and so I have seven sort of tabletop versions of some of those experiences coming out um, in about a week and a half. And so some of them are from that piece, and some of them are new and have not been played before uh, in that piece. And so those are all philosophical thought experiments come into game form. Um, I have a piece that I'm working on that's a live performance called Fair Trade with Yannick Trotman O'Brien, who is somewhere in this space. And yes, Wooch <laughs> Yannick. And, um, and I just got back from the Arctic Circle for a residency. And so I've been sort of processing that and working and writing and thinking through what that piece is going to be. So those are the top things on my plate right now. Um, I've been putting the finishing touches on Bottom of the Ocean. And uh, this, this evening, this gathering was one of those finishing touches. You know, I started uh, the year with sort of a list of the things we might do if the show, like, did certain degrees of well. And... And it felt like it did well enough that like we could have this big celebration. So this is one. Another example is um, like we're gonna put out an EP of all the music in the show, right? So our little like cast album. And um, another thing that we add, we added a new scene. Like even though Boto premiered a year ago, uh, just this month we we added a new scene that happens back there in the Hall of Lamps called the erotic scene is, is what the cast calls it. And uh, it's, a, it's a ritual exploring sexuality and something that we've wanted to do all year. So, um, you know, just getting those final uh, creative uh, flourishes in on Boto, and then we're gonna close on December 21st, and then I'm gonna uh, start trying to make my masterpiece. <laughs> Uh, Candlehouse Collective's been pretty busy this year. Uh, first off, we, um, we are Peace Claws, our telephonic thriller for an audience of one, uh, which has been running for almost three years now, um, with, you know, uh, sold out, um, is, yeah, is still, is still going strong. It's been getting a, a, a decent amount of online um, attention. So uh, we're, um, we're looking at the end of a run for that in the middle of next year. Um, we also brought back one of our first ever telephonic pieces called Collect Call, which is a two-day experience putting the participant on the phone with um, the characters in uh, a, a person on death row uh, with 24 hours before lethal injection. And it's this sort of final conversation with uh, this person that was born out of a lot of, um, a lot of really intensive uh, research and interviews, that kind of thing. Um, and then most recently, we announced a piece called Lennox Mutual, which is uh, sort of a grand experiment in storytelling. Um, it's a remote, immersive, 20-minute piece um, that's a call with a customer service line. Pretty straightforward, uh, except it's designed for you to call back as many times as you like, and it's it evolves each time you call it back, and it gets to know you each time you call it back. And the further you go through it, your experience is more and more customized to you and to your actions um, in the narrative, and you start to sort of piece together the other bits going on, and there's a whole Reddit community that's dedicated to figuring out the mysteries of Linux Mutual. So that's what we're up to. 
we opened a building. <laughs> uh, so uh, we developed a modular frame system for us to mount all of our walls, and we also put in plumbing, and we made a, uh, there was a pandemic, so we made a visual novel game, uh, and we're working on a show that involves a series of cubicles called Business Realm, the future of tomorrow's office today. Uh, which will be a hybrid of Severance and Cube 2 Hypercube and Fantasy Elements. Uh, and then also we're making sure that our two hosted productions and a few other things are the best that they can be. Oh, and we're doing a 24-hour, uh, seven-day-a-week internet television platform called uh, Lux Live, the Confluence of Class and Cinema which, after fixing some bugs in FFmpeg, will be open at some point, maybe this week. You can keep that one, because I've got this one. Excellent. Okay, so the next question, a little more targeted. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about what all of y'all's experience working through the pandemic in immersive work was like. I know, the question we, we have to answer, um, that we've been answering this, you know, the last two years, but I think it's important to talk about it in this kind of forum space. So if anyone wants to go first, otherwise I'll volunteer somebody. I'll go. The pandemic sucks. Uh, well, we made a VN, so that was our first therapy dump. Um, we kept everybody employed, uh, but we weren't able to retain our cast uh, through the pandemic. Um, we make it a policy that we don't offer roles or jobs unless we can follow through on them. So we went out of the way to not string people along. We've been in contact with a lot of our cast for our shows. Um, we were in the process of finding a building, so I'll speak to that a little bit. Um, remember that boat that hit the Suez Canal? <laughs> Do you know how expensive metal got? You know how expensive lumber got and drywall? We had to have a shipping chain set up. We had to order metal from Chicago, get it perforated, and then shipped to another place in Jersey so that it could then come to our building. And it was not fun. So that wasn't cool. Um, testing uh, every week, testing every day, testing, et cetera, and then uh, 180 degrees, suddenly uh, everybody thought that COVID was over because the mayor said so. Um, at this point, we still mandate uh, vaccine checks for our building, uh, but we're dabbling in mask mandate and all that jazz. I could go all day, so I'm gonna pass this mic before I saw it going. <laughs> Uh, so on one hand, it, you know, doing primarily the remote work that we were doing was sort of easy to continue uh, in the in the pandemic um, because you know it's remote. And, um, on the other hand, though, it, a lot of our back end work had been in person, specifically the work with uh, performers and directors and everything. It was sort of an important. There was a very physical element to the process, which is a weird thing to say for pieces that are are uh, so like audio dominant, but it really was important. And we actually found ourselves leaning really heavily into uh, video work, you know, live video work, et cetera, uh, more one-on-one -on -one stuff over the course of the pandemic, incorporating dance, incorporating um, sets, things like that. And uh, because I, I think we were sort of this thing that we've been doing is kind of this, uh, hey, we're, we're doing this thing, and it's, it's this, th this uh, bizarre little niche of storytelling all of a sudden was what you know, had to be done, and we wanted to push the sort of margins of that as much as we could. And funny enough, the pandemic is when we spent, when I spent uh, most of, uh, we spent, I spent the most time that I have 
developing in-person pieces, and we're finally getting to do those this year, which is uh, this coming year, which is really exciting. Um, but it was it was different. It was a big change, even though the space we were in didn't change very much. The uh, the approach had to change a lot because the the stories we uh, tell are, can be on the more intense side. So it was how do we keep everybody safe? How do we keep everybody everybody grounded and retain that sense of community that was so easy to come by before? Um, how do we keep that alive and um, electric and uh, keep everybody feeling like they're part of something that will. Uh, that's there to support them. Yeah. Um, there were, the pandemic makes me think of two things. One is, um, what, like, in that middle week of March, March, like, 11th, 2020, I think, was our last day of that run of Boto workshops, right? And um, our plan was, like, to do two or three shows a week just indefinitely and then gradually like add a fourth show and add a fifth show as we made the sets and costumes and stuff better and better and instead what happened is we came to screeching halt we paused for 15 months and you know we went you know we went to town on the sets and the costumes and the writing and everything and now seeing all the work that there was to do it's it's almost it boggles my mind to think of <laughs> what it would have been like to just never have stopped the workshops and to have just kept on like trying to make a set better on Monday and Tuesday and then do the show Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to make the set better Monday, Tuesday. I, like, I don't know if it ever would have happened. So in a way, the pandemic was a blessing in that it gave us the time we really needed to work. I think I, think I was in some ways in denial because I wanted to do the show, but I didn't have enough time to like make the show ready and the pandemic gave me that time. And then, when we actually started performing again in June, July, 2021, we really just had to roll with the punches as far as like vaccine checks and masks. And then, you know, with Delta and Omicron, there were these different moments where it was like, well, now you have to have the booster as well, and if you don't have the booster, you're welcome to like get a full refund. And so there was this whole frenzy of um, like people asking for refunds in this short period of time and having to resell the tickets really quickly. We had to do things like we used to have people blow out the candles, and then instead we had people use a hand fan to blow out the candles. So there were all sorts of hoops we had to jump through. And then you know, I guess over like March, April, May, like the boosters faded out, and then the vaccine checks faded out, the masks faded out, and even just like the level of paranoia faded out, and like the people calling, the, the audience calling in sick faded out, the cast calling in sick faded out, so it got much easier over this year. So I have a question. Uh, this is self-referencing, self so this applies to the, your definition of this term only. There are two options. One is, I'm okay. The other is, I am not okay. Who's okay right now? <laughs> Hands down. Who's not okay right now? Thank you, hands down. It took me until this month to even admit to myself that during the pandemic, I wasn't okay. So I think that what I did really actually during the pandemic was be in a state of denial. Just a slow slant downward. I didn't crash. 
and just careened slowly into not knowing what I was doing and feeling quite lost. And so even though I was doing work during that time, like pretty immediately we turned Chaos Theory, which had been doing a, a live run, excuse me, <clears throat> at Caveat, we turned it into an online show pretty much immediately. And so I wrote that version of the piece in 10 days or something, and then we're like up and running. <laughs> and so it's an adaptation, but like writers, you know? <laughs> and so then, you know, we're just working with this new medium and doing all of those things. And it was really heartening to be able to do that. And it felt good and it felt like an interesting challenge. And it kept me connected to the people that I was working with all the time. Our team stayed together through that. And so that really mattered. But at the same time, the piece wasn't the piece. And so these things that I had crafted and worked on all this time, suddenly getting translated to an online space felt good enough. And that is a space that I have a lot of trouble with because I will I self-identify as a perfectionist. And so what I also worked on, <laughs> I see you. What I worked on also, I think, during the pandemic was sort of curtailing that. I think some of this sort of came to a head in like late 2020 when a group that I was working with, um, so my studio contracts out a lot, so we are, we're so medium agnostic that we work with really different groups of people for each project. So we're working on this mobile app and we pivot into this project where we're applying for like essentially like a pretty big deal project and we got this close. And then we lost out on like half a million dollar project. And so at that point I was like, well, I'm a failure. <laughs> I did my best and I failed my team. And so after that, I had this, this sense that, okay, I've been pushing myself to do this creative work and pushing myself to get this work out and to not waste time and to not waste any of this time. And it has to be a blessing, it has to be. And really turning into, who am I as a leader? What can I do to improve this? What do I do when I don't know how to be an entrepreneur? And yet artists are being asked to be artists and entrepreneurs at the same time. And we don't have those skills, and we shouldn't have to have those skills, and yet we have to have those skills. Or at the least, at the, least the skills to network into collaborating with those skills, and all those things are different skill sets. And so I started, I basically cold called a group that, uh, that does entrepreneurial training and sort of talked them into pro bono training me. And so I work for them now. <laughs> but, um, but that, that was a big part of it too, was just learning all the things I didn't know and seeing if I could get excited about that. And so I think part of the pandemic for me is, did I get sidetracked? And if so, how many times? Was it getting sidetracked to learn how to be a better entrepreneur? Was, it, was that being sidetracked for being an artist? Was trying to dig so hard into artistry sidetracking me from the skills that I needed in order to be a better artist and get work out into the world? I don't really know. So I think it feels to me, honestly, the pandemic feels like everything else feels to me, which is this mass of confusion and growth and messiness and just kind of the same humanness with a scale, with a level of mortality, of the question of mortality and perspective and time that we don't always get, but we do get in times of crisis. So yeah, I don't really know. Sorry. <laughs> That's perfectly acceptable. Um, um, yeah, the, it's, it, it's terrible and beautiful. Uh, in the same way I am okay and not okay at the same time. Um, I think the beginning was really hard. Um, I had a project that was supposed to open September 2020 that did not and will hopefully knock on wood open September 2023, um, but uh, because it had to completely change. I mean, the funding for the arts tanked, you know? Um, so 
uh, it, it was just uh, so many of the conversations that I was having, um, which for me, like the privilege of escape was like a huge project for me. Like I, I felt like it was a project that like plucked me from obscurity to like being on like the front page of the New York Times. And so to the next year feeling like, oh my God, I'm going to do it. I made it. And then it's like everything shuts down and you're like, oh, is anybody going to remember me? Like, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's, it, it's hard, right? Um, but at the same time, I, I am really grateful for all a lot of the support I had and the opportunities I had too, like to explore other things. Like the Onassis Foundation reached out to me early on um, to make some sort of piece, and so I had been I had just started playing Dungeons and Dragons, and so in person, and had learned you can do that online. And um, so me and a friend, Avi Dobkin, decided to create a, um, a tabletop role-playing game about about uh, difficult choices when you're making choices sort of on behalf of other people as well as yourself. Um, and so we had three weeks to create our own tabletop role-playing game system and write the adventure for it. So that was fun and gave us something to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's things like that. And then I, I also think um, there's been other work that's come out of it. Like uh, September 2021, I think, I. Um, opened a project, uh, it was my first project ever for children with the New Children's Museum in San Diego. And they wanted, I said, what's like your theme? They were like, reopening. I was like, okay. And so I made a project called In the Balance and it was a bunch of interwoven balance themes throughout this outdoor park um, where you, there were three paths, but you didn't actually know where your path led, right? And all of the paths were six feet apart until they intersected, right? And and as you progressed, there were more and more intersections and you had to decide whether you were going to yield to other people, like were you going to change your behavior um, because of, of what was going on or are you just gonna do your own thing and not even worry about it, stuff like that. And because for me, I wanted to make a work for children that um, didn't shy away from the difficulties that, that children and families to face during this time, but still could remain hopeful. So it was like thinking about how to translate that experience in, and also just like how to get away to like children to play together without them being on top of one another, right? I was like, balance beams, there we go, and they're apart, um, and it's outside. So, you know, it, it was challenging to, to think about stuff like that, but it, in the same way, it was like, I wouldn't have ever thought of that project, right? Like I think it was, um, I was sort of forced to think backwards. Like often the kind of, I create social spaces that sort of take uh, physical closeness as a catalyst for like emotional closeness or social closeness. And I had to flip that around, right? It's like, how can we take other like that? How can we create those connections as a substitute for physical closeness? And and what does it mean, right? What does it really mean to like connect with people? And I had to go to the heart of why I make what I make. Like when I make things, I often think about the emotional arc that I'm trying to take people through. But it's like, how do you do that when when they're not there? And so much of the language I used involved physicality, right? And, and what is that? what is that really tapping into? Our understanding of private versus public, our understanding versus like of, of what is personal versus what is shared, you know? And, and so having to think about that kind of stuff and, and pushing into other things. Like I, I, um, I'm talking about potentially doing an AR uh, mobile experience because 
places were hard. Um, and so there, those conversations are still continuing, which is fun. And um, I don't know, oh, and like, because of that tabletop role-playing thing, I'm now um, doing, I'm in the Soho Repertory Theater's writer-director lab, even though I'm neither a writer nor a director, uh, but my partner is both, uh, Rantia. So um, yeah, she's amazing. Um, and so uh, we're doing a tabletop role-playing game-inspired immersive theater work uh, examining the subject of Asian female rage, because that was the other thing for me during the pandemic as, um, <laughs> as an Asian American, um, having to deal with extra racial trauma um, because of that, and like, you know, a couple attacks and things like that. And so I think it, trying to find, and that actually led to my project, Drawing Breath, the video project I was talking about, because that, um, deals with, it's like 12 people of color taking up like giant space in Manhattan. And the idea is uh, they're going through complex emotions and breathing through it without having to code switch or assimilate or blend in. And so, and just getting to bring their authentic selves and complicated emotions and be whole people. And so I think that um, in a lot of ways, I feel like, at least for me, I. I feel like I've had to become more brave about being more personal, for example, with, with my, the content of my work and also, um, yeah, sort of just leaning into people who know how to do stuff I don't know how to do because I'm working in like, I, I am too am medium agnostic, especially now. So I think um, it's, it's been tricky, but I mean, all you can do is, is keep trying, right? Like, and just keep trying to find openings and things. So that's what that's been like for me. Great, thank you. Um, so with all of that being said, I wonder where do we see the field going? What are we moving towards? We've talked about growth. We've talked about exploring different mediums through our experiences in the pandemic. Um, what's next? Oh, you're gonna put me on the spot first? <laughs> we can mix it up. Oh, you gotta give me a second here. Uh, well, what's happening next? I'm exactly. Um, so there's. Uh, it's all good. It's all me. No, it's me. I'm broken inside. COVID broke me. Um, so there's, oh, fuck it. Um, there's, there's a couple of things uh, that we see happening. Um, obviously people want to come back inside again, which is great. Um, there's also been an upward trend for us at least in attendance, um, which has been awesome. Uh, it seems like at this point, all traditional ticketing rules, laws, things you expect, like people buy here, they don't buy here, out the window, gone. We don't sell on Fridays. We sell Sunday at 10 a.m. I don't know what's happening anymore. We sold more tickets in November than we did in October. So at this point, it seems like everybody's kind of feeling it out. They're kind of remembering how to go outside and go do stuff. Um, so from a physical immersive standpoint, I think that this is a golden opportunity in this field to kind of help coach people back into doing things. Um, 
This is a field that is near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure all of yours. It's relatively new. Uh, we can have philosophical arguments after the after the panel, but um, when it comes to audiences, there's kind of some standard expectations that a lot of people are trying to break or remold or redo in different ways, and that's super cool. We just gotta get people on the same page. Like this is worth going to. This is worth going out. You should come check this thing out. And it seems like audiences are there. There's a ton of articles about how immersive is dead, theater is dead, Broadway is closing. Musical venue ticket sales are up 20 to 60% depending on where you go. People are going to zoos and amusement parks. If they can go there, they can go to immersive theater. <laughs> so um, when it comes to live events, I think that there is a very interesting time for immersive. As far as digital goes, I mean, it's always been an emerging field. Um, if anybody here is interested in doing something for Meta, maybe reconsider your platform. Um, if anybody here is doing something for Twitter, definitely reconsider your platform. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Uh, but digital spaces, because of the sudden and swift power vacuum that has occurred, uh, there is now an interesting opportunity for digital spaces. Everybody kind of suddenly snapped out of it and went, oh, Twitter isn't the only platform? Interesting. We're making a Tumblr. You guys should too. If you haven't already, if you have one, reactivate it. It's where the, all the cool kids are. Um, there's a lot of platforms out there. A lot of the software is relatively free and accessible and relatively easy to build off of. So if you're looking to do something in a digital space, there's probably a platform for you and there's probably an audience for it. Uh, outside of digital or physical, I mean, sky's the limit. So do immersive theater. Hooray. Yeah. I think uh, to what Alex just said about um, this is, you know, people are sort of feeling out, uh, you know, re-entering reality as we once knew it, sort of, the uh, four times. And, um, and that invites a really interesting, um, a, a really interesting opportunity to redefine how people look at traditional, um, you know, traditional mediums, traditional uh, structures. The idea of, you know, keeping a remote piece going post-pandemic is is not that uh, it's not. You know, there's there's actually there's quite a few that are still going and going really really beautifully, and that are still. Um, you know, retaining and expanding their cultural footprint. Um, there's, uh, as for in person, what we have right now is a chance to sort of re-examine uh, re the, the sort of understood um, spaces of play that we have in physical spaces because people are, um, you know, people are sort of recreating their uh, standards as to like, okay, well, this amount of contact, this amount of closeness, this amount of everything. Um, it's, not again. It's me. Okay. Um, okay. Um, the, uh, are we good? Great. Um, the ability, that's, I mean, that's why I'm really excited to um, start making public facing uh, in-person in work because it's sort of starting, not fresh, but kind of fresh a little bit. And um, uh, being able to say, okay, what, um, 
I'm not, you know, we, we can't assume anybody is comfortable with everything. And, and conversely, we can't just assume that everybody is uncomfortable with everything. It's sort of an, a time to take a more individualistic approach to create pieces that allow for varying levels of engagement on all fronts because people are, um, folks in, including me, you know, are, are sort of coming back in thinking, okay, I, I'm remembering how to do this. I'm, I'm, take, I'm taking steps back into being comfortable with this and renegotiating their own boundaries. And the more we can create adaptability, the more we can create in, in uh, our work, in person, remote, whatever, the more we can create physical adaptability, emotional adaptability to, um, to adjust to all the different kinds of people who are now interested in what immersive is. Because after the pandemic, there's a whole other, you know, the immersive is dead thing. I think we can all agree. No, it's not. Like, it, you know, um, it, yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, you know, there was, uh, the pandemic was a time of discovery for a lot of people, to, you know, discovering pieces they might not have been in places to see, you know, uh, because there's not a ton of immersive where they live, they, but with the advent of, you know, everybody doing remote, now you have your pick of all these incredible artists doing their thing. Um, and as they re-enter, having trust in these new names, these new, these new companies, these new artists, um, it's our job to, create, like I said, create spaces where they can figure out exactly what they're comfortable with, exactly what boundaries they're willing to push with people they trust, with circumstances that they trust. Uh, and I, I, I'm really excited about that. I think that is an absolutely insane opportunity that we get at this point um, to, to make immersive something that is really for everyone, you know, and that, that isn't isn't niche anymore, you know, that is, that is something that pervades um, all manner of spaces, because it should, because immersive rules, I think that's why we're all here. Yeah. Here. So, you know, the, the selfish reason, the selfish, the selfish reason why I, um, I'm holding this gathering tonight is I'm really just trying to get you guys to create shows that I can come to. <laughs> you know, there's like a hundred of you out there, and so if 20 of you make 20 shows next year, then I'm gonna have fun. <laughs> and um, I just, I hope that I can um, give you some confidence, and I can give you, deliver the news to you that the audience exists, right? Our show, Bottom of the Ocean, is proof that the audience is out there um, over the course of this year and some change, I think like 3,000 people have come through Boto, right? Uh, five people at a time, so 12 shows a week. And so it's kept us creatively busy all year. Uh, it's been a happy, creative uh, job to show up for every week. And um, I think that, um, the publication that we're here supporting uh, this evening, No Proscenium, there is a built-in audience that's up for, like, as I am, like, I'm up for seeing the amazing shows, and I'm also up for seeing the, like, okay shows that are just, like, you know, someone's, like, getting their feet wet, or somebody's, like, trying an experimental idea. Like, it, it, there's room for the good and the great. And um, if you do have an idea you wanna try, I feel confident there are a hundred people on the No Proscenium New York mailing list who will come give your show a try, you know? 
And um, in my experience, something that um, I had a lot of success with over the last few years with this venue and with the show is um, video, like a, making a beautiful video ad, right? Experiences are really valuable these days. Like, we all have access to any song we want to listen to. We all have access to any TV show or any movie we want to see. But we don't all have access, like, where are we going to find our next special experience? And so if you can make a really good-looking video trailer that says, hey, world, like, I built this thing in New York that's a special experience for you, you can find strangers that aren't on the no proscenium mailing list or anything. You can just go out there pay Instagram to send your video trailer around, and you can build your own audience. And so I just want to let you guys know that the audience is there, and it's not rocket science to go out and find them. And so make the shows and have fun with, you know, following that creative trajectory. Yeah, I second all of that. Yeah. Also, I would love it if the future of immersive was just Andrew having fun. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I really do second that. There's a lot of people in this room. There's a lot of creators in this room. I'm really excited to see what everybody's making. I like miss putting my body in space. It feels really good to be doing that these days. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I think also, yeah, I'm just gonna say the same thing. I'm, no Pro does such a great job of like bringing the heavy hitters and people who are up and coming into into the into conversation with each other um, and giving them some feedback on what that work is like and an access to an audience and all of those things are so valuable. But that also means that like we're kind of at this stage right now in the industry where we get to talk to each other a lot. And that's awesome. And so I think part of the future is really just how do we structure that conversation and continue to be able to be talking to each other in spaces like this. Um, yeah. And I, I think there have been a couple of times in my life when I've thought it's too weird to do. Or like the things that are out that are there that are that are capital S in my brain successful are not what I do. And recently I was over, I'm traveling this fall, as I mentioned, and so I was in London for 10 days, like seeing a bunch of immersive theater and talking to people, and I sort of came away from that experience thinking, do I even do immersive? <laughs> like for real, like has that term gotten so far away from from the kinds of things that I do? Can I call myself an immersive creator and do any service to my own work or my team's work? or the scene, or my audience, like, is, is there any use in this at all? And I mean, spoiler, yes, there is, of course there is. Um, we're all doing, we're all in the same realm, but also I think I, I would fight for some of the niche too. I think it's important that we get out there and that we're doing big work and that we're getting paid. All of those things are important, but that nicheness, the thing that, that says, this is weird, is anybody gonna relate to me at all on this level? Or I don't even know what I'm gonna create, but I've gotta try this thing, I have this one picture in my head, what's gonna come from that? is so valuable, and I think that's the way we change some of the big things, too, um, into a space that is more reflective of the creators and our audiences. And so, again, just to reiterate everything Andrew said, <laughs> I hope that the future is, is people making things and testing things out, um, and that those, like, we, we do the fail faster thing and start to, like, test out the ideas that, that feel a little bit scary to test out and be generous with each other in that process and know where we are in that process so that we can support appropriately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, I too sometimes am like, is what I make immersive? <laughs> Though I feel like that's a bigger question. But I think other people also ask that question. But for me, I'm like, you know what? I will sit in whatever bucket people will put me in. So that's cool. Um, but I think for me, 
Um, in thinking about the future, I, I certainly am not going to be somebody who's like, yes, this is what you'll see. Um, I can tell you what I hope I'll see um, as an audience member, as a um, participant, right? Like, I, I feel like during this time, because of logistics and stuff, we've sort of been forced into thinking about things. Um, I mean, maybe, I'm sure there are lots of people already thinking about it, but thinking more about things like intimacy and consent and trust. Right, like about who we give our information to, what information that is, can somebody trust that that is truthful, and vice versa, right? About saying these are procedures in place, this is what you can expect, and thinking about that. Because I think, especially with um, immersive theater, there, like, there's sometimes this thing of like, for example, content warning versus spoiler, and I'm like, those are to me not the same. In 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 um, like, I. I don't know, I'm somebody who very much appreciates a, a content warning. Um, and and so I think those conversations are things that outside of the logistics, outside of like having to do that because like, I don't know, because of like viral spread or whatever, I think thinking about that in a way of like the humanity of it and how to incorporate that intentionally into the work um, and, and what it means to um, to do things that are for, say, smaller audiences, right, or for um, or intimate moments within a larger thing. And so I'm, I'm excited to see people exploring those topics. Um, and shameless plug, <laughs> also what I hope the future holds is I am on the board of the Black Immersive Creators Grant. And um, yeah, and we um, uh, last year gave, or earlier this year, um, raised $10,000 to give to um, an amazing project called Black Feast. And we are going to be fundraising soon for round two. So I hope that the future also holds lots of funds for our next Black Immersive Creator. <laughs> Shameless. Allie. <laughs> yes. What would you think about maybe uh, us uh, maybe seeing the audience? I was going to say, I don't want to ask any more questions. And to be fair, I didn't, Andrew wrote all those questions, so I didn't ask any. So who else has a question so I don't have to come up with any? We're going to find out if this uh, stretches, if this wireless stretches. Hi. Wow. My name's Nicole. Um, I'm a performer in the digital uh, immersive space, right? So I was wondering, um, as, a, as an immersive performer, my goal is usually, I have this one goal in mind, to make the participants feel whole and make them feel valued. So I wondered, as creators in the real space, what is the one goal when you have, like, block or whatever, what is the one goal that you keep in mind to kind of keep and create and to um, make your participants and, well, keep in mind for your participants? Does that make sense? I have an idea. Oh! <laughs> well, one thing that, I mean, I've already started kind of trying to write my next show, and one principle that I'm enjoying having guide me is um, like with immersive experiences, I like being able to create a fantasy, right? Like the, the participant is getting to step into a fantasy and I like to create for them 
my fantasy, right? And I feel like it helps me, um, it, it prevents me from condescending to the audience, right? Because if I were to like, like let's say that like I was putting on a show in Times Square and like I started thinking like, oh, all the like the tourists of Times Square and I've got to like entertain these families and these whining kids and stuff, right? And you can start to like disrespect your audience. But if I start to think like, what if I could walk in a building tonight and just be so impressed of like, oh my gosh, they put this in the show. Oh my gosh, they're doing this. And just really being floored by the treat that they were giving me. That's what I try to think up. And then I try to give it to the public. Anybody else wanna? <laughs> Uh, I don't think I have a goal when I'm performing. I think it's changed. Like as a writer, sometimes I have a goal. As a performer, sometimes I guess, nope, I don't think I have a goal. I think that the thing that I try to do when I'm performing is just be present. Like it's sort of the anti-goal. Like set up a goal ahead of time and then I have to trust myself in that moment that I can be there with them, whatever happens. And so that's the state that I tend to try to inhabit when performing. I'm not a performer, um, so, but um, being the, the person behind the, the curtain, I guess um, I, I do. I usually have very specific goals. Like for The Privilege of Escape, I sat there and had to think about, okay, like who is the audience? Like this was produced by Creative Time, so honestly it's probably liberal-leaning white people, right? And so I, I there was thinking about like um, who, because I wanted people who are marginalized to feel seen, heard, to feel validated, right? Um, but knowing that that's probably not most of who was coming in, um, I had three goals actually for the project. One was to crush the myth of the meritocracy, which means I had to build it up first and then crush it. And then, um, and then I wanted to show that, um, that uh, privilege is invisible in the ways in which um, we have it and um, to show that it's the normal experience, right? Like it's the default. Um, it's, it doesn't feel like something extra when we're talking about social privilege. And so those were the three things. And so every decision about the project, because inevitably you always have to make compromises, right? And so every compromise had to get weighed against those things, being like, do they serve that? Do they not serve it? And um, I don't know, I'm like, nerdy outline list kind of person and so that's there was literally a list and it's I for every project like it's there's an outline of like okay this is this is how I want people to feel like these are the the concepts that I want to get across and how does how does it serve it or not serve it that's nice do you guys sure. chime in uh, so I think in terms of wh whether it's performing or writing or anything I I try to think in terms of um, I try to start with what am I doing with the person or people or with, with them, to them, uh, around them, whatever, and um, try to distill that down or maybe start with a single gesture or single image. Usually it's a gesture. Um, and you know, whether it's an outstretched hand and the goal is for them to take it, and then when, you, when they take your hand, then it's a new goal. You know? um, or whether it's uh, trying to get them to, you know, imagining that they're starting the piece facing away from you and you're trying to get them, you, you know, uh, you're trying to get them to turn toward you. Uh, it's it's um, tr trying to boil it down to something that simple, uh, a goal of just what am I, you know, I'm entering the space initiating with a hand outstretched and I want them to take it. 
What do I have to do? What do I have to share with them? What do I have to create um, to create the chance that they will take it? Not everyone's going to, but the, uh, the science, I guess, of creating a piece like that, uh, a pieces, immersive pieces, um, at, le at least the way I do it, is figuring out the way or ways in which the most people can, will, can and will respond in kind, respond the way you want them to, or respond in a way you weren't expecting. Because to me, you know, if you stretch a hand out, somebody, you know, grabbing your arm or grabbing your shoulder or pushing the hand away is just as valuable as grabbing the hand. It's a response, they're engaging, and even if they're engaging in a way you weren't expecting, they're still, uh, they're still now part of the dance. They're part of, they're, they're your partner now, whatever they're doing. And that can apply whether it's, I think, one person or 50 people or 200 people. Um, that, that to me makes it, uh, it's not easy, but it makes it, um, it makes it one goal to start with. And it makes it one achievable goal. And all of a sudden, this sort of vast thing isn't so scary anymore because all I'm trying to get someone to do is take my hand. You're here. Um... I could go on about this all night, but I won't. Um, so uh, physical, th physical immersive and digital immersive both have entirely different challenges. Um, digital, for every problem that physical has, digital has a counterpart that's its own weird, awful thing, um, especially on the technical side. Uh, you never know what kind of horrible demon is going to come out of your computer and just sabotage everything at the last minute. Digital also has issues with scalability that you don't necessarily encounter in physical. For the sake of argument, we're going to say they're both the same. I know I'm wrong, but just like, they're both the same. They have problems. Um, we at Future Proof, and we try to impart this on anybody that we talk to, um, we have a simple circular flowchart uh, when it comes to uh, character or actor uh, to patron interactions. Um, the first part of it, and the most important part is, did they have a good time? Um, and that takes a lot of different forms, uh, but ultimately, my, they're laughing uh, because my long-suffering writers and designers have to deal with this every time we start a project. I have to start with the user journey, not the script. And when it comes to user journey, it's, it's okay. Imagine you've had a really bad day, but you bought these tickets and you can't back out, so you've got to go. How are, like, in that headspace, <laughs> are you going to have a good time? Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean, in our case, it's put slot cars, but it can also mean a fulfilling artistic experience, fulfilling narrative experience. At the end of the day, our primary goal as creators in the immersive space, and as performers especially, is putting audience and patrons first. We, we, we have to. Um, that can clash with story if it isn't prioritized. And so as a result, it's not about making sacrifices of story for the audience's sake as much as it is making sure that all the parts of story contribute towards a certain type of good time. Um, digital, it's a bit tougher as opposed to physical because you have the opportunity to have different access points and different types of experiences. Um, digital, you kind of have to narrow your lane down to a particular thing. Um, so at that point, you know, it's all about making sure people's expectations are set up. What are they going to do? What are you going to see? I know, especially in immersive, there's an allure of things being secret or mysterious, and whether or not they're in or out of world or in or out of character, I'm not disparaging it, but I will say setting expectations out the gate helps a lot. 
um, of what people are gonna do. So they come in in the right headspace even if they've had a bad day. The next part of the Venn diagram is, uh, don't worry, it's short, I promise. The next part of the Venn diagram is, does your piece or performance or content tell the story you want it to tell? That do all of the elements in your show, in your thing, contribute towards a story? And if somebody misses something because it was written in 12-point font on a piece of paper or in a PDF pile, file they had to download, once again, they're laughing. Um, <laughs> is there other pickup points that people can still catch up? And if they can't get all the nuance of all the lore and things you wanted to drop in, do they get the basics? Do they get the main beats? And at the end of it, do they understand the message and the story you were trying to get across? So from a performance perspective, that becomes, what about my character is going to help enhance or otherwise push the story? If it's a character studying a character piece, there you, there you go, that's the show. If the character is part of a larger story or universe, it's how does my character fit into that world? How is the world set up? I mean, we, we lean heavily as well into RPGs, so when it comes to pen and paper, it's all about building your entire codex and all of your villages and everything that goes around it, and eventually you actually write the character. Um, but ultimately, it's is every element, every asset, every movement contributing towards story? And if it's doing that, we go to, did the audience have a good time <laughs> with the story that you're telling? And if your goal is for, to challenge them or for them to not necessarily have a good time, there's, there's shades of it. It's, did they have the kind of time you wanted them to have? And even if they come out of it feeling really sad and miserable and hate everything, if they wanted that experience, if their expectations were set up, then you're creating the kind of works that people will enjoy. The one thing you don't want to do is not tell anybody what the show's about, have them show up, have no idea where to go or what to do, and then have a bunch of characters that are wandering around that won't engage with them, and if you haven't watched the three-hour deep dive into Evermore on YouTube, I would strongly recommend it. I'm not going, like once again, my heart goes out to those actors. That's a rough deal. But if you want a case in point study of the ultimate nightmare scenario, would recommend 10 out of 10. Um, one logistical thing I wanted to check in, my friend, uh, John Lex. John, the uh, photographer, videographer. Did you ever show up, John? John? Are you here? No? <laughs> I guess John didn't show up. So in that case, uh, in this final hour of hang, if everyone could just take a bunch of photos of each other <laughs> and videos and send them to me, we've got to document ourselves because something happened with John Lex. That's okay. Um, we're going to accept one more question and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, what time is it, by the way? 8.59. We're going to accept one more question and it's going to go to two more panelists and then we're going to wrap it up. So I'm going to give it to my friend Kendra. Um, I guess... Sure, yeah, I think we'll exclude you, Andrew, because I feel like we know a lot of your thoughts on this already. <laughs> but um, I guess a question for, maybe I would ask Jessica and maybe Risa on your thoughts on this. How can we make immersive work more sustainable, especially for 
you know, creators who are in the mid-level looking to break into a more sustainable show like Andrew has successfully done over the past couple of years. Amazing job. Um, but how can those up-and-comers start to think about making their work a little bit more sustainable to be able to pay their artists a living wage, to be able to uh, continue to run something and, and transfer the work from being something that we kind of do on the side to something that may even be a full-time job as Andrew has successfully done. Um, so I'm just interested on what your thoughts on, on that. Sustainability, anybody? Who... Um, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, but like artists too, okay. Um, yeah, um, I think, well, in terms of financial sustainability, this is this is a tip from a friend of mine who um, told me that I'll, don't be afraid to charge more for your work because like a lot of times if it's a higher price ticket, like people, one, like, care more and they will believe that it, like, she had an easier time selling the exact same experience like for $80 than she had for 20. And then when she was selling it for 20, people weren't showing up, right? Like they just weren't. And so I think um, though the privilege escape was free. So like I, like I said, this is advice from someone else who is doing very well. Um, so she said that, but I also really like when people offer the opportunity to subsidize tickets for other people um, so that it's it doesn't become just an elitist thing. So I think that there's, it, it is a tricky thing with that too. And then I think outside of financial sustainability, something that um, when people ask if there's anything I would change about the privilege of escape, from the side of like creating for the audience, personally, no. I mean, I don't know how audience members feel about it, but I wouldn't. But the thing that I do wish that I had known more about and would incorporate in like, if, if, if it ever gets remounted, would be um, like aftercare for our performers. Because um, I think there's a sustainability thing to that too, right? Like they, they put themselves out there and it's, it's, it's intimate, it's raw. It's, um, and so to ask them to do that over and over and over again, um, you know, in whatever way they need to contextualize that or take care of themselves is something that I think is important in a, in a conversation about the industry being sustainable. I'm really glad you asked this question uh, so that I can really activate my ignorance over here and say I really don't know. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that, that people are exploring this and succeeding. And it's very different for everybody from what I've heard. And, uh, and so I think some of it is like, what form does your fight take? You know, like, is your, where does your fight live? Like, if your fight is uh, like, I'm gonna make this show happen, come hell or high water, I will fucking figure this out. Then, uh, then there's different, you know, highs and lows to that. One, you've got a fuck ton of drive, great. The other is like, what are your pitfalls? Who's checking you on those pitfalls? Who's making sure you're doing that aftercare when you're, you're go, 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 go. So I think like really identifying what you, where you're likely to, to hit the biggest like obstacles and setting up some constraints ahead of time, I have found that to be extremely useful in this space of sustainability for, for myself as a creator, knowing my flaws. Um, being really open to the fact that I really don't know them all <laughs> and that I'm still learning them. Um, and I think another one is, I, yeah, I'm struggling with the question of finances um, because I think, I feel like sometimes I, I live on the edge of that, of what is sustainable for me as an artist. And I work a bunch of different jobs. 
I do consultation, uh, which I love. I perform, which I love. I write, which I love. I design games, which I love. I teach game design, which I love. And, and a bunch of other stuff, too. And so I think I have the, the benefit of being able to love about a lot of different things. And so that, for me, creates some sustainability. I also have a little bit of a fear of commitment. And so being able to like touch on a bunch of different areas is creatively fulfilling to me and keeps me going. Uh, again, on like a personal level, I go camping. I, I have the ability to do that, and I am sound sensitive. And sound is really, it's a lot for me. And so I get out into nature, and then I relax for the first time. I'm like, oh, I can hear things. I can hear that bird in the distance. And that's a, a state that I don't get to be in all the time. And so I think putting myself into those circumstances helped me to not get burnt out in a way that I have definitely experienced before. Um, and so again, that feels like that self-growth. The other thing is I think that I'm like, I, I fall into a trap frequently enough of urgency, of the sense that things have to get done in a particular time period. And so having deadlines is the way that I get done and having deadlines is the way that I fuck up. And so I think having, having that sense of, okay, what is a deadline good for? Uh, and what are, I, I'm also a goals human, not necessarily as a performer, that was a great question, but I love having goals and so one of my goals right now is figuring out how I'm gonna implement different levels of sustainability. There's my own emotional health and, and, and ability to not get burnt out. There's taking care of my team in the same fashion and teams in the same fashion. There's the implementation of like creating accessible rules for the tabletop games that we're developing that are going up online this month. What is the order of operations in which that happens? So I think really sort of taking things one step at a time has been really useful of just clocking things that other people are doing really well and saying, okay, I'm not gonna get this done all at once. I can't get it done all at once because I will get completely debilitated and nothing will happen. But this is now on the list and I'm actually checking things off of that list over the course of this year, over the course of next year. Um, and so I think paying attention to what other people are doing well doing what you just did, which is asking people what they're doing well and what's working, and then just starting to, to chip away at that thing, because it's not gonna happen right away. I wish I had, like, I feel like the answer I wanna give you is like, here's how you make a living. <laughs> but I don't know that anybody can answer those things, and I think it changes so constantly. The thing that I thought was gonna make a living and make me happy a year ago isn't true today. Um, so yeah, I think I just continue to advocate for, advocate for talking to each other about this question with generosity and, uh, and, and uh, maybe, maybe a little less, like, how do we make this work? Like, capital H, how, how, how? And a little more like, how do, how do we make it work for you as a person? And like, deep diving with each other a little bit on what that process is gonna be like on a little bit more of an individual level. And then maybe trends will emerge and we'll figure it out from there. Or maybe they already exist and I don't know. Give a big clap to our panelists. Thank you for coming out to the immersive meetup. I want to encourage you all to get drunk for no pro. Get drunk for no pro. Uh, Kellen and Ed are at our bar. We've got an hour of hanging at Gymnopedi, an hour of opening and talking to each other generously. Uh, let's dig in. Once again, I want to thank all of the panelists of this incredible meetup panel that happened. That would be Alex Schmay, Evan Nyden, Jessica Crean, Risa Puno, 
course, Andrew Hoffner, who put it all together, and, and Ali Murata, our New York curator, for holding down the moderator seat. Um, literally couldn't do this one uh, without y'all, and and you, you saved my butt. You saved the show this week uh, with uh, having this here. Um, c- kind of glad I didn't burn it off uh, as part of the Thanksgiving uh, break that was kind of the original plan we were going to like overload that break with like extra audio for everybody um and as it turned out uh on and i know i know when and where i got it um covid uh so i went out to get drinks with a friend in hollywood uh i i, I won't name the bar because it's not the bar's fault it's the people at the bar's fault <laughs> Not the bar. Uh, and we were on the patio. The patio did get crowded. Uh, the friend escaped unscathed. My mom escaped unscathed. I tend to mask around my mom. A lot of you know my mom, uh, you know, cancer survivor, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't take risks with my mom's health. Um, and she lives in the building next to mine. Whole deal. I'm part of the care team. I'm the center of the care team. Let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> the major stress in my life. Uh, wasn't able to 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 be on duty for her. Uh, maybe one of the more stressful things. Um, although it was great. I, I, for once in a while, I was like, oh, I miss my mom. <laughs> Which hasn't happened in a while, let me tell you. Woo! Um, so that's maybe good for everything. Um, but yeah, I went out uh, and, uh, you know, I was I being cocky because of you know how good things went in denver um and uh i don't know is it is it cocky to walk into the bar unmasked get a drink uh, get a couple of drinks get them relatively quickly walk back out um it, you know is it, it, it did, did i bow to the social vibe of like oh, I'm, I'm not gonna as we leave you know from the patio back out through the bar am i you know i'm not gonna bother to put my mask on you know uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be cool. I won't be that weirdo. Um, well, maybe I should have been that weirdo. Um, on the other hand, the friend did all the stuff I did, all the stuff I did and didn't catch was maybe I, you know, was someone standing next to me and talking next to me who, who passed it on? Who knows? Um, definitely the most I've been unmasked around people, uh, that I didn't know exactly who and what and where. So, uh, Started getting symptoms a couple of days later and two rounds of negative antigen tests. Uh, but I backed that up with a PCR. The PCR was like, Oh, you got it. Uh, and then proceeded to, uh, basically demand Paxlovid. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm overweight. Uh, those of you who've met me in person, you know, this to be true. Um, something I've struggled with my entire life and, no, I don't want to say that, but you know, still, still, still in the fight as always. Uh, but the pandemic certainly hasn't made that, uh, easy in, in any way, shape or form. And of course, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, my father, uh, was, uh, taken out by COVID, uh, right before the first round of vaccines. It was, uh, two years ago this month. Um, he was part of the wave in the, 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 the winter 2020. So not taking any chances, uh, got the Paxlovid and started that on Monday. And on this Thursday, uh, first negative rapid test. 
and back that up today with another negative rapid test. And I know everyone's like, well, watch over the backs of a rebound. And like, it's like, well, thanks everybody for being, you know, hyper negative, uh, really, really helps out when you're trying to you know, keep your spirits up. But that being said, also very aware of the fact that like rebound apparently is something that happens to people who don't do the backs of it as well. So I feel uh, again, not cocky, not going to push myself too hard, taking it low and slow, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, as they say in Navy SEALs. <laughs> That's suddenly become my motto, uh, which is weird. But, you know, what can I say? The Peripheral is a great show. Um, and uh, 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 have the weird Paxlovid mouth. If, if you've taken Paxlovid, you know what I'm talking about. It's this like weird twangy taste. Uh, that luckily, uh, I don't taste when I'm eating, uh, <laughs> which isn't good for someone who can be a compulsive eater. Get this taste out of my mouth. Let's just do cookies. <laughs> um, you can tell I'm like laughing a lot. You know, I'm in pretty good spirits. I think the thing that that's bummed me out the most this week is like, we had some amazing momentum going on. And then, and then for part of this week, it wasn't that I was like hyper depressed. I was just sick. And feeling like uh, got the rug pulled out from underneath me as we were building some really wonderful momentum. And there's still plenty of work to do. But on the flip side, maybe the best week uh, that this all could have happened, uh, given that we had content in the can and that uh, it was relatively quiet. We still got a review rundown out. We've got um, we've got an I-5 coming. I was able to take a couple of meetings this week, uh, and you're still kind of going, just kind of rumbling low, slept a lot. Uh, and the, maybe the worst part of it all was there was no new Andor, <laughs> which is like, how am I supposed to live without Andor? Um, but, uh, we, we, we find a way, um, that said, you know, uh, this 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 one's weird uh for all those who've had it before um hi i'm in the club now uh do not recommend uh you know zero out of ten uh don't recommend to anyone uh also don't recommend stopping your life um there there's ways forward and honestly if i had just been more of a nerd and i think i now feel empowered to be more of a nerd um i would have just you know thrown that mask back on um, and, uh, I'm going to be incredibly more strategic about, you know, where, where, and when I, I meet up with friends for drinks, um, because, uh, and particularly probably not doing that anymore in, in the winter time, uh, which is kind of a shame. Cause I was, I was thinking about like, oh, we could do like a community meetup soon. And like, you know, there's some spots and we'll be fine. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. The surge is on. Uh, and, uh, that just keeps kind of like holding, holding back certain things. Um, being able to control the environment. Um, that's, that's a big one. There's, there's ways to safely gather. Um, you know, there's, we haven't gotten any reports out of the Denver event, um, of folks getting sick there. Um, statistically that also feels impossible. So I feel certain that somebody probably, you know, got themselves somewhere, but we didn't have a giant wave of reports. Um, I, again, haven't had a single report from anybody. And so we still feel sort of secure right now that that wasn't a super spreader event. And it feels like, you know, we can take responsibility for ourselves as a community. We can respect each other as a community. And for those of you who are patrons of the forum, 
I just encourage you, you know, there's, there aren't a lot of reasons not to wear a mask when you're in a show. Uh, there just, there just aren't a lot of reasons not to, uh, you know, you can lift it up to eat, drink, whatever is going to be happening in there. And that just shows a level of respect for the performers and creators just really think about, you know, how long you're having people in, in non-ventilated, ventilated spaces. Um, I, I feel very lucky in that, uh, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, so Thanksgiving day, I was maskless around my mom. The day after Thanksgiving, I was maskless around Juliet, uh, her boyfriend, Sean and, uh, and Anthony, uh, we all met up for game night. It was great. Uh, and the next day I was testing positive and I was feeling massively guilty because I knew that I had just put Juliet and Sean and Anthony and Anthony's family in the crosshairs of this thing. And the worst possible outcome along with my mom would have been if any of them had gotten sick. None of them did. All of them cleared PCR tests days later. All of them cleared all their antigen tests. Um, but we got lucky. We got lucky. And luck isn't enough. So um, just a long way of saying like, hey, you know, be good to each other. And thank you for wearing the mask. Um, there's a lot going on, uh, as you can tell, uh, there's, um, uh, there's some wonderful work here in Los Angeles. Oh, we've got some more field reports coming out. Uh, there's wonderful work happening all over the country and I'm just, uh, stoked that we get to, um, bring some, some backer exclusives and some discounts and that we're gonna, we're teeing up to let everyone know the hold the dates on the next stage and, and it's months away, months and months away. So like, don't, don't, when I was beginning, like, Oh, it's, it's so fast. Like it's fast for us, uh, in terms of production, uh, from what we've done before, but, uh, there are months, uh, on the calendar. Uh, so it's not going to be like, if not March, <laughs> like don't, don't think like, Oh, ah, it's so soon. We're, we're not, we're not crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, this has turned into a ramble and for once I'm not going to take it away. Uh, cause this has been a pretty significant, um, a significant week and I'm just thankful to be able to, <laughs> I'm really thankful that I'm not laid up in bed right now. Um, <laughs> that I don't have something worse going on for certain that modern medicine is such as it is that we've been able to figure out effective treatments for this thing already. Um, I know that my experience is not the same as everyone else's. Not everyone gets to do this. I'm very thankful for that. Like I think I was referencing earlier, uh, when it comes to the backers, you know, y'all, y'all don't just pay my rent. You pay my Kaiser, uh, which is like costs like half my rent each month. And, you know, let's, let's be real. Like, not only is this, does this show not happen, but like, I don't live without the support y'all show in the Patreon and without the support, like what Andrew's doing for us right now, what Unique's doing, what the, the folks at, the folks at, uh, rematch live, what everyone is, is doing to keep us going. Um, there's, it's just, it's, it's special and it's, I, I feel very honored and, and blessed um, to have all of you in my life like this. Um, and the fact that I get 
to be thinking about, you know, what does April and May look like uh, and what is what is beyond that look like and make plans and, and not just be like, well, time to go work at Target for the season. Um, that's that's a privilege. That's an honor. And hopefully we pay that back to you um, through the work. All right. Uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, a long in. Um, let's do the credits. Associate producer for the podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar, the podcast. Special thanks to Shavana Lachlan for voicing our intro. The No Pro podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly. I'm Noah Nelson. I didn't make a joke of it this time. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. Mm-hmm.